I'm back. Time for uh, part three of the photography part podcast. And uh, this one's going to be, uh, as we mentioned before, on lessons learned, uh, tech tips, um, things to think about. Uh, there's been a lot of lessons learned, so there'll probably be a lot of jumping around on this podcast because uh, uh, both, you know, myself and Frank, as well as a lot of other photographers I know of, um, you know, during the course of time of me learning photography have screwed up that I've learned from. Uh, and I'm going to try and cover all of those. But that is a very long list, much like archery, fishing and anything else. Uh, you know, you're not going to na- knock it out of the park the first go round. In fact, like, you know, a lot of people say your first million shots, 10,000 shots, whatever, are your worst photos. That's true. Uh, you know, and, and the more photos you take, uh, the idea being the better you get. Uh, obviously, you need to get your ass off of auto to, um, you know, really get to where you're taking great photos. But definitely, you know, it's going to be a trial and error process. Uh, again, when you're taking when you're taking photos, um, you know, you, you the idea behind photography, in my opinion, I've already said this before, but is stopping time. You're you're cap- capturing the moment with the hopes that later on someone can look at your photos, especially when you're talking about the hunting trips you go on or fishing trips or, or whatever, um, that you're going to be able to tell a story with very few words just from the photos alone. Um, and so probably not going to knock that out of the park the first go around. So one of the things that I think is most important, well, it's definitely the most important, and I've already beat this horse to death, learn your camera. Learn not just aperture, shutter, ISO, but learn your specific camera and set that camera up that you're using for your own liking. There's a lot of most cameras that are on the higher end or, or decent ones are going to allow you to uh, change s- certain things, certain buttons, certain dials uh, to do what you want them to do. And I strongly suggest that um, depending upon what type of photography you're doing and what kind of um of story you're trying to tell, meaning if you're a wildlife photographer, you may need different, um, you know, settings completely than a guy that does landscape. So, uh, something to think about. You definitely want to, um, you know, learn all those things though. Uh, the next thing would be, you know, always be ready. Always you have your camera with you and always have it p- preset. So, uh, you know, it's hard to take a really good photo when your camera is in your backpack. I, I found that to be very true. And so if you don't have your camera out or your camera with you, it's going to be hard for you to, um, you know, capture any moment whatsoever. So not always have your camera with you, but also have it preset as much as you possibly can for the situation you're about to walk into. Um, you know, you, um, if you have, you know, let's say some of the things I've seen people do, your white balance is set for indoors because you were taking shots the night before inside. And then, you know, you've got a deer that runs across the road. You snap some photos and, uh, you know, your shutter speeds off, your white balance is off, everything's screwed up. So that next morning you, you want to make sure and get everything set up as close as you possibly can for what you're about to walk into. Um, also when it says be ready, Always have enough SD cards, enough batteries, um, a tripod, 
Um, that's another thing that's very important. Always, if not always, but as close to always as you can, have some type of a tripod with you. Even if it's one of those really uh, little piece of shit gorilla pods, um, those things work great for, um, you know, for most cameras and in low light situations, you know, you, you may need a tripod. So always be ready for what you're about to, to walk into. Um, you know, the other thing with always being ready, um, you, you um, in my opinion, you want to make sure and pull your camera out when you know you're about to, you know, shit's about to pop off. I mean, whatever that, if you're about to have epic fishing, you, you know, you basically just roll up to the lake or the river, everything's set up, fish are jumping, get your freaking camera out and get it set up. If you're wanting to get photos of the fish coming out of the water, set your camera up for that. So maybe you're not just taking photos the entire time. Your camera's just sitting beside you, but you've got your camera out to be able to capture those specific moments that are going to be a bit more epic than other ones. So always get that camera out when you're about to, you know, roll into something epic. Um, you know, make sure when you're taking, uh, you know, photos that you're, you want to take photographs in the best specific time you can when possible. Um, that, that, that doesn't mean like what I just talked about. I mean, your camera's out all the time, um, for, um, you know, when you're doing like walk around photos or whatever, what I'm talking about is more landscape and things like that. Um, make sure you're in the golden hour, whether that be that golden hour is usually the last hour of sunlight. Um, so if you're doing landscape, that's a great time to take photos is that golden hour. But you also, when, when you're, when you're taking photos like this, um, you want to keep in mind of where the sun is, no matter what, you know, if you're going, let's say you want to go take a photo of some waterfall, um, and you don't pay attention to what elevation that waterfall's at or where the sun's at, you may get out there and the sun may be directly behind that waterfall, and you pretty much drove out there for no reason because all your photos are going to suck. And so you want to make sure and pay attention to lighting at all times and photograph at the best times possible, especially with landscape. Uh, another thing that, you know, to think about, you're always the best photographer you can be on cloudy days for the most part because you don't have that harsh lighting. So let's say you wanted to do family portraits or, or something like that. I think cloudy days are the best days to do those. You don't have that harsh lighting. Uh, you don't have to worry about as much sun being in people's eyes, things like that. So take advantage of the lighting situations you have, but also pre-plan for great lighting. Um, and that's something I've learned the hard way. Uh, it just doesn't become as much of an issue right now that it, that it used to be because I actually have some forethought into it. Um, this I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I wrote these down as... Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about them, I guess. Uh, use, I, I personally feel you should start out with a prime lens, uh, meaning a fixed focal length lens. You should not start out with a zoom. Uh, I just think you become a better photographer with a prime lens. Uh, you're using your feet for your zoom, which I think is important. Um, it, it, you're not as lazy with that. You get a better photo with a prime lens generally anyway. Uh, and so I think a prime lens helps you become a better photographer because you just have to work a little bit harder or a zoom lens will make you a little bit lazier. The photos won't be as good, but specifically you'll, you, you're, you're going to be a little bit lazier with a zoom lens. Now, you know, having said that, obviously money may be an issue or, or you may have a good deal on a camera. I mean, don't take it that way. But if you have the choice, I think getting something like a, um, a nifty 50, like a 50 millimeter, almost every, um, camera, uh, company makes a very inexpensive 50 millimeter lens, and that's a good one to start out with. 
um, uh, push the limits of your gear, specifically, uh, you know, your lenses and your camera body uh, more than anything uh, before you upgrade. And I talked about that before, and, and I'm certainly a hypocrite by saying that because I have definitely upgraded my camera gear before I have uh, pushed the limits of it. Um, and and when, I, when I say that, unless you're learning photography as you're growing in your gear, um, you, you're, you're probably not you're not doing your due diligence to really perfect your uh i don't want to say trade but your skills or your um uh your your level of expertise in the the actual trade or craft of photography you're you know weighing you're using the the gear heavily for that so push all of your gear about as far as you possibly can before you upgrade now I also, you know, having said that, I'll suggest for most people to save up and buy better than a cheap camera because you're you're going to push that to the limit super fast. Uh, uh, Desiree Stark is a good example. I, she and I had a conversation, and I think I told her to a specific camera to get, and I think she got a cheaper one, and and she's kind of pushed the limits of that camera. That doesn't mean she can't take great photos with that camera, but she's already kind of needing to upgrade for what she's wanting to do. So, obviously, I double tapped about 15 different things there and, and also made that confusing get the best photography gear you can buy without a doubt when you buy it especially lenses uh, but make sure you push that stuff to the limits before you upgrade and you're actually learning all these different things um, and, and try not to let gear carry you um, make sure uh this is a very important one i didn't really you know when you first get into photography there's certain things you just may not think about a uv filter which is arguable with some professional photographers get a uv filter to protect your lens i don't think it's an issue i mean i don't think it's an arguable point if you don't have that filter to protect your lens um a uv filter if you fall and scratch your lens your lens is screwed if you fall and scratch your filter you take it off and put another one on. Now, I've heard a couple people uh, on photography YouTube pages as well as photographers I know say you don't buy a car and wrap it in a protective cover as soon as you get it. Yeah, well, uh, in my opinion, your car isn't completely useless when you scratch it. It still drives down the road. Uh, your camera lens can be pretty freakingly useless if you scratch it. So I think that's kind of a dumb shit thing to say. Get a UV filter, make sure and protect your lenses because that will also allow you to get that camera uh, and lens out in times when maybe you normally wouldn't. I can think specifically me hanging off of cliffs um, with my... Um, you know, a shoulder strap on where my camera's bouncing up against the rocks. There's no way in hell I would do that normally. Uh, of course, as, as you people are listening to this, never buy used camera gear of mine. Um, but, uh, you know, that camera lens, I've had it, you know, bounce up against the rocks um, and scratch that filter before where I was like, oh, that sucks. And it's another $49 filter, but it's better than a $1,499 lens or a $500 repair. So make sure and use uh, protective filters um, on your lenses because that again that'll help you feel a little more confident when you're pulling that camera out in really you know tricky situations so yeah i'm going to skip that one and come back to it i really want to talk about composing photos but uh, i'll come back to that in a in a minute uh, i talked about this before make sure and use burst mode um 
you know, when it's, uh, when it's applicable, if you're trying to take photos of birds flying around someone, you know, fish jumping out of the water, animals running around, um, a trophy photo, I think it is a key, uh, to take burst, uh, photos and burst, especially when you're dealing with people's eyes, you always want to focus on the eyes of someone, even in a trophy photo, you know, you're, you're obviously filling the frame with the animal and the person, but their eyes can be closed a lot. It's human nature. We just blink. And if you take it in burst and you take five or six shots of one, one his eyes are going to be open. Uh, a, a prime example, some of the worst photos I have are of myself because I've had to hand the camera. Um, a good, Jeff Lander, I love him to death. Worst photographer known to man. Um, the photos, I shot a really big black bear with him this year. They are probably the worst trophy photos you could ask for. And I was very clear. I kept saying, hey, guys, just keep snapping. Fire away. Fire away. And they would, you know, creep down, take two photos and walk over. That might work if you're a really good photographer. But it it literally sounds like a war going off when we're taking trophy photos or photos of certain things, especially when we're trying to tell that story. Uh, you know, you only kill stuff every now and then. And that's very important to people that they have that in their life to share with uh, other people. It's only memory card space. Fire away. And in burst mode, sometimes that's the, you know, you're, you're, you need to shoot in burst and not just single shot. So make sure and use burst when it's applicable. Uh, I talked about this before as well, but I think aperture priority setting is the best in normal lighting conditions. And I think that's, again, I shoot an aperture priority, I don't know, 75, 80% of the time. I'm an aperture priority in every situation except low light. And then I go to manual. Um, you know, having said that, make sure, um, you know, if you're in aperture priority or, um, that you, that, that is like your preferred method or, or having it set up, uh, this, and I'm double tapping here, make sure that you understand, uh, and learn what your best aperture setting is for each type of photo. Um, sometimes you're going to want to use the background, meaning you're, you're going to want the background in focus. Um, sometimes you're going to want the background blurry. You're going to want a low depth of field. Uh, you know, it just depends, but make sure that you're spinning that dial like crazy as you're taking photos. Um, you know, just for the simple fact that you may like one look a little bit better than another. Again, I'll go into composing in a minute, but, um, whether it's aperture priority or full manual, make sure you're getting different, um, perspectives and different settings. Um, sometimes it looks cool where just the veins are in focus on an arrow that's went through an animal and into the dirt. Sometimes it's cool to get the veins in focus, but also have the, you know, firing down the shaft with maybe some blood on the shaft. Um, you know, the leaves in focus where it goes into the ground. You may, sometimes you may not know what you like best. So make sure and, and take multiple photos, multiple, multiple perspectives, um, you know, to get the best photo you want. And I know a lot of you guys are thinking, my God, how many photos are you taking? Uh, or guys and girls, uh, sometimes it can be 2,500 to 3,000 photos in one day. Um, I guarantee though, um, you know, each trip, I would say I'm taking 500 photos a day at a minimum. Um, you know, on a seven, eight day trip, I've, I've probably got 3,500 plus photos I've taken. I mean, you don't have to do it that way, but if you're getting into photography, um, especially if you're beginning, the chances of you just clicking that button one time and just knocking out of the park are pretty freaking slim. So you may want to take several, especially if you're getting into photography and just learning it. Well, I think I'm going to go into composing photos now and where that people get screwed up with that. 
um, when you compose, when you're setting up like a, when I say composing a photo, when you're setting up, setting up the shot, um, you know, I, when you really start to, to, to get an eye for photography, there are certain photos that you're not going to need a lot of, you know, composing on, or you're not going to really need a lot of forethought. You're just going to snap the photo and it's fine. But there's other photos, um, you know, that, that a certain, uh, I guess a certain angle is going to be better. So when you, for me, one of the things I really try to do is simplify the photo. Uh, as much as I can. And, and when I say simplify it, meaning I try not to ever have more than three major parts to that photo. Um, meaning if I've got tree, like I've got a creek flowing down, I've got trees, I've got different lighting, there's flowers, there's a hillside behind it, there's a bunch of different shit going on. It's a little too garbled up. Um, what I try to do is let's say the three things are there's a guy kneeling down in front of a shelter and he's working on his pack. The shelter is two and the kick-ass mountain range is three. Those are the three main parts of that photo. And I try not to get, go over three ever. Um, it could be a lake and a mountain range. Um, it could be, you know, closer up where you're not doing like a big landscape photo. It could be someone fishing. So focal point, them fishing, the secondary, the lake behind them or the mountain range behind them. Um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, anything as simple like with super close up, you've got your stove um, where you're cooking. And in the background, the secondary um, is the person sitting inside the tent, fairly low depth of field. So the person's blurry. The main focal point is that stove. You just don't want to get it too gar garbled up. And that's in the composure and the settings both, meaning your depth of field as well as the composure of the, you know, composing the photo. Um, another thing to think about is what they call leading lines. Um, uh, photographer, I go on these different, well, I don't anymore, but I used to photography trips with other photographers and, I, and not in the hunting world, but actually uh, true real like pro professional photographers. And it's almost like if you, um, you know, you sign up and you all go to a specific area uh, like if you're going on a backpacking trip or a fishing trip, or you're going on a photography trip. And so you'll have six, eight, ten people. Uh, the classes are usually pretty small or these trips are small. You all have your own gear. You're going to a specific place and you all get geeked out taking photos. I don't do it uh, as often as I used to. I just don't have time. Um, one of the reasons I did it was it helped the hunting community because I was able to once people learned what I did, learned that I wasn't just some kind of Cro-Magnum that ran around shooting shit out of a window, that I also had kind of a brain and I, I like taking photos. But those are very, very good places to learn uh, because generally one of those guys, generally the leader of that group, is going to be a hell of a lot smarter than you and he's going to really you know help you. On one of those trips, a guy brought up and said something to along the lines of use the lines that God gave you. What he was talking about is leading lines, um, and those are um, a creek, a fence line, a railroad track, um, even topography on a mountain range. Use those leading lines to help compose that photo. Um, you know, a, a good example, I've got a few sh shots of Phil where he's walking down like this knife edge ridge, and that knife edge ridge is leading into him. You know, another good example is a guy... Um, you know, walking down a fence line, let's say it's, you know, you're, you're whitetail hunting. He's coming down that fence line. 
use when you're composing that photo, that leading line is going to lead into that person. It may not lead into anything, but it'll help the focal point of your photo. And those leading lines are important. You can read about all these things and somebody will do a much better job explaining it than I will. Um, another thing to, I, I think that is important when you're talking about composing a photo, um, there's going to be times when you want to fill the frame, you know, like, um, you know, portraits are a exa- good example. Um, you know, if, if you don't want, you know, if you're taking a photo of a house, you don't want so much room around the house where the house becomes secondary. It's like an old, like mountain man, type log cabin, you know, you want that to fill the frame. But there's going to be other times where you use the rule of thirds where you're, you know, you're getting the the specific, you know, portion of the photo or, or person in the photo offset. You don't want you don't always want that person in the middle. I'm really bad about that. I, I tend to always stick people in the middle of the photo and I really need to kind of offset them sometimes, um, you know, more than I do. But really make sure when you're taking these. Um, if you don't know what you're going to like the best, take multiple frames, you know, take uh, take it with the person in the middle on the left or the right or have a little bit wider angle lens where you can crop it later and shift it left or right if needed. Um, and those are all things, obviously, as you grow into photography and you're learning um, what you may like the best. Um, another thing that a very good photographer told me um, was uh I don't know if he's referring to life or photography, but he said you need to learn to write your own book when you're becoming a photographer. And I, I took that, whether he meant it as you you, you want to have your own, um, you, you want to be able to have your own, uh, what am I trying to say here, your own style. Uh, and I don't mean that your your style is just wildlife photography or landscape photography or, or cityscapes. Uh, definitely that, but also the way that you, the style that you take your photos. Um, you know, a good example, uh, you don't want to, you know, copy really someone else's style. You may end up doing that, but you, you look at um, one, one person specifically um, that we used to hang out with quite a bit. You really can't tell the difference between his photos and mine. He, he literally copies, you know, pretty much exactly how I do my own how my style works. But then you take a guy uh, like, let's say, TJ Perez. TJ has gotten into photography in the last couple of years, but he has set up his own style. He's becoming like a really good photographer, but he's kind of learned to do, walk his own path, his own style, do his own thing. Um, and that's what you definitely want to do. You want to be able to learn and, and have your own set kind of when somebody looks at the photo, they can be like, oh, you know, that's an Aaron Snyder photo or that's a you know whoever photo. And, and that may be because you're more into to duck hunting than anything. And so you got a lot of duck hunting photos and there's a certain style to that. It may be landscape photography, maybe wildlife, could be anything. But, you know, kind of write your own book. And, and, and this specific person, he was a really big landscape photographer. And so, I mean, anytime I see a photo um, on one of these photography pages on Instagram that he belongs to, I don't even need to look. I immediately know that's his photo because of his style. And I would say that, you know, that's important for everybody to kind of learn their own style. And, and, uh, is, is that guy told me, write your own book. Um, one second, grabbing my notes here again. Okay. Another thing on, uh, when you're setting up for, for photos that, uh, I, I think a lot of people for, forget. Um, and I talked about this before is about focusing on the eyes. Um, it's not just, I mean, when you're taking a, a, a portrait of a, 
uh, of a person or you're taking a trophy photo, that's pretty easy focusing on the eyes. Um, but you're taking wildlife photography um, or macro photography. I always the, the photos were like, you know, the ant is sitting there and the little beady looking eye things that the ant has are like in focus. Um, that's like the primary or the key point of the photo. Those always seem to jump out and grab me. And a lot of times, um, you know, when I'm taking a photo, what's a good example? When we were in Jasper, we had a bunch of rams and ewes running around the trucks. It wasn't like it was epic. We were in a mountain range. I jumped out of the truck and took the photo. But I was I was really focusing on uh, the rams and the lambs and ewes, their eyes when they were coming at me, meaning my focal point, what was in focus was their eyes. Uh, but also, even when they were walking, um, I wasn't just pointing my camera at and shooting it at that specific animal. I was pointing it and focusing on their eyes. And I think that's very important, and a lot of people forget that, including myself sometimes. Um, the other thing to think about, um, you know, when you, with the wildlife photography, um, you know, portion of things is, is the burst mode. Animals blink as well, as well as humans. So uh, when you're focusing on those eyes, definitely make sure and take more than one photo, um, you know, just to make sure that their eyes are open. Uh, some of the other questions that I think that um, people are a little bit maybe um, confused on uh, was the, the post-processing aspect of things. How much things are, are done in post-processing, um, you know, with me and other people. I don't know one f good photographer or one professional photographer. Everyone puts their stuff in post-processing. Some of it probably need to tweak it uh, more or less than others. Um, but for me, when I make those archaic-looking photos, um, I pop the photo in. I usually drop the highlights. Um, I drop the whites a little bit. I bump the contrast up a little bit. You know, I don't do a whole lot more than that. Um, and that gives it more of a little bit of archaic look, cuts the edges a little bit. But how much time I spend doing in each uh, with each photo and post-processing? Not very much. I mean, I don't think, um, uh, I, I mean, I would guess if I had a thousand photos, I would spend maybe an hour on all of, uh, uh, all of the thousand photos uh, total, you know, and, and I'm not editing all 1,000 of them. Um, that goes through kind of picking them out, the ones I like the most, tweaking them a little bit and then throwing them into a, a folder. So I don't do a ton. Uh, I don't spend a ton of time in post-processing, uh, but mostly because I've learned how to do it a little bit better. I used to spend a lot more time when I was learning um, post-processing like Lightroom. Uh, so I'm I'm running a, a bit on or kind of double tapping a lot of this stuff. But I, I think that um, if you're going to take any anything from this as far as... Um, you know, something to be written in stone, uh, that would always be ready. Always have your camera, always kind of preset your camera for that, you know, make sure and get a tripod, make sure and learn photography, uh, you know, photograph at the most when you can the best lighting situations when you're doing things like landscape, but also pull your camera out when shit, the shit has hit the fan and you really, no one else is going to want to, you know, take a photo pull your camera out at those times. This is usually when you really catch the moment, especially not that someone's going to be happy when they're struggling um, at the time when you're taking photos of them. Uh, like my buddy, my buddy Derek got stuck in cliffs. Um, is, is Dick having a move as this was, I started photographing him from above him uh, when he was stuck. He wasn't in danger at all. He certainly wasn't happy. He was cussing at me like crazy, 
um, you know, I told him to chill out and I took a bunch of photos of him stuck in those cliffs. I think he appreciated it later because it was a cool, you know, I definitely was capturing the moment and stopping time. Obviously, you don't want to put anybody in jeopardy, but, you know, whether it be a blizzard, a rainstorm, you know, you know, trying to, you know, cross a river. Yeah, you may ruin your camera. You don't want that. But try and take those photos, um, you know, in the moment as much as you possibly can. I think that's extremely important. Um, you can take a, a kind of a half ass photographer. Um, but if he's half ass and he is uh, has his camera out and goes to extremely cool places all the time, he's going to be one hell of a photographer just because he's got his camera out and he's going to you know places and areas that other people may not or have his camera out when other people may not. Um, so I, and I think that's extremely important. Um, the the next thing again is um, you know with the whole photography thing, make sure you know as your um, I'm really double tapping this, but make sure you, you find the exact lenses you like the best for your style of photography um, and learn that before you're heading out into a backpack trip or hunt. Um, I know a ton of different people that bring a multiple lenses for trips that they just don't end up using. I think it's important. Well, I know it's important. Make sure you find exactly what you want. I talked about it before. For me, for most part, it's a wide angle uh, lens and a 35 or 50 millimeter. In the case of this Nikon 850, I'm probably going to have a 24 millimeter and a 50 millimeter with me a lot. I may have the 14 to 24 and the 50 with me, but for the most part, backpacking trips, those are the two lenses I'll carry. Sometimes it might be a 24 to 70. Um, serves the same purpose, just depends. Um, but if you aren't into landscapes and you're doing more of the walk around things, some camp shots, you may be able to get away with just a 50 millimeter, um, you know, and go from, from, from that and be able to take most of the photos that you, that you want. Um, I've had to definitely cut back on other gear to be able to take the, you know, the photography gear with me that I want and I got to stay in shape. I mean, I don't think people realize, um, on some of the, some photographers, videographers, they're going to be adding a minimum of six pounds and a maximum of 20 pounds to their gear um, when they head into the field on a backpack trip. So you want to make sure and you have your shit dialed in for that. So um, I'm sure I missed a ton of stuff and probably misspoke on half of it, but uh, that kind of covers part three. Um, again, once we get this stuff posted up, please post up uh, whatever questions you have, whether it be in messages or on Instagram on the, uh, you know, the uh, the section we have this set up at. Um, we are going to get some um, photographers in here um, soon. I talked to uh, Sam Soholt. Um, I don't really know him at all. I think he's a Sitka guy, but he is a great photographer. I'm going to talk to Stephen Drake, uh, as well as a couple of my buddies that are photographers um, you know, for a living that don't really have anything to do with the outdoor industry. Um, and we're going to get those, uh, you know, in the next couple months, we'll try to have as many people on as we can with photography. Uh, Darren Epp is another guy I'd like to get on, um, you know, with the, the uh, wildlife photo portion of it. And then um, I like TJ Perez is just a funny little bastard. So we'll probably get him on whether or not we learn anything from he and I talking shit back and forth, but we'll try to get him on as well and kind of what he's learned you know, as he's gotten going into photography. So either way, we appreciate you guys listening in, uh, throw up your comments, questions. And if we need to do a part four, uh, we have no problem doing that. So either way, I hope everybody has a great weekend.